Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are recording with Dr. Peter McCullough and Mr. Chris, Chris Gillespie on uh, on July, Wednesday, July 26, 2023 at 6.06 p.m. Eastern time. And um, again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, both of you, Chris, has spent most of your life in, in sports medicine. And obviously, Dr. McCullough, being a, a cardiologist, is, um, is LeBron James's son, who I imagine is an insanely healthy individual, went in, what, cardiac arrest or a heart attack or, or something, and uh, that shouldn't be happening. So, uh, Mr. Gillespie, do you want to maybe open up with on what you think it is and, and go from there? Well, you know, obviously, before the vaccines and the pandemic and all the things that we know now, we would have immediately thought something like sickle cell trait, which I knew well. We would have thought something like Marfan syndrome, which he does not have by looking at his body build. We would have thought, you know, he had some sort of heart abnormality that was unseen and undetected, not picked up on normal studies. Uh, But now, and I think Dr. McCullough would agree with me, and I think I've heard him say this many times, until proven otherwise, we got to say the vaccine had something to do with it because it's recorded that that he's more than likely had it. His dad said it's, the family's had it. So I think we have to think about those things as much as most people don't want to think about them or want to deny it. Um, I think it goes to the top of the list, and then we sort everything else from there. Hmm. Dr. McCullough? I think a lot of people may not know, but Chris Gillespie uh, has won you know many awards as being the the top trainer in the nation historically over time because of his work on uh, sickle trait, especially in African-American athletes and uh, you know, screening and detection management. And what, what Chris has done is he's he's brought to sports, I think, a level of safety. And there used to be collapse of, of athletes on the field. I mean, Chris, can you comment just over the course of your career about on the field practice collapses and, and, and what's changed over time? You know, I retired in 2013 as a, having been a director of sports medicine for um, more than 30 years. I went to the University of Georgia to be a, in an administrative role after that. Um, and then I retired again because of my spine problems. but. You know, we just didn't hear a lot uh, about sudden death. Now, I did have a young man in 1989. Before we did all the screenings, before everybody did anything, before it was a thing, um, I had a young man die of dilated cardiomyopathy, and he dropped just like these folks on the videos are are dropping. He looked just like it. And um, we did CPR, and 
by the time they could get defibrillator to him, because, you know, we didn't have AEDs at the time, it was too late. And he had gone through the series of what you and I have talked about, whether it be an adrenaline response followed by tachycardia, followed by ventricular uh, fibrillation, followed by cardiac arrest and then death, uh, which is probably what has happened to, to these individuals more than likely if they've got myocarditis of any kind. And this young man I had, he obviously had some sort of carditis, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, and then we had a young man with sickle cell trait that we detected, and we were the first school in the country to test for it full time. Um, you know, we, we did things before it was uh, commonplace uh, with sickle cell trait and really even with cardiac because I had kids coming in telling me they had chest pain for six months after this kid died. And so we just studied them all. You know, at that time you did EKG or, and then you did uh, maybe an echo. Um, and, and that was probably at that time enough uh, because we really, I never had another episode of somebody that looked like cardiac arrest or anything like that. And in today's world, we fast forward, we just didn't hear it that much. And if anybody was going to hear it because of all the stuff that I did on, with sickle cell as far as presentations and sudden uh, cardiac death um, and the things I did early on, I was going to get the email or the phone call or, and people saying, what's going on? You know, or, hey, we heard about such and such. And I called the directors of sports medicine where there was a sudden death and said, and to, to say, I'm here if you need to talk. Now today there's how many more now, is it because we have social media and because we have the wherewithal to hear about it, who knows, but there's a whole lot more than there used to be. And there's a whole lot more in the last two years than there ever was. And I think that's undeniable. I don't think you, any person that can look at this and tell me, oh, this is normal, there is, you call it, willful blindness. Um, I have had multiple phone calls in the background in the last two days from people who have asked me not to divulge their name. I've probably gotten 50 phone calls yesterday and today uh, saying, what do you think? Um, and I say, you do follow my Twitter account. Uh, the stuff that I that I retweet that you put out that the, maybe somebody will see, maybe somebody will see, and but the, the the plausible deniability, the willful blindness, or whatever you want to call it, um, we're just seeing so many more than we used to. And I I looked at something today, and I I don't know if it's true or not, or if maybe Europe has decided they're just not going to show them anymore. But we don't see as many of those videos of soccer players uh, collapsing right now, do we? Mm -hmm. It's people here. Hmm. I, I haven't seen a soccer player from Europe on a video in quite some time. And I spoke with Dr. McCullough and them oh, back last May, not this May, but last May. And we had a video that played before I would speak and it had those collapses. I'm just not seeing those, or maybe they're hiding them. I don't know. 
But I said at that time, I thought we were a year or, or one cycle, whatever a cycle was, behind Europe. And it scared me. So, yeah, answer- if I could jump in there, uh, Chris, you clearly called it. I remember you on stage saying, and listen, we're about a year behind Europe. So what we see in Europe uh, back then is what we're going to see now. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, oh, my my Lord. Um, let me just say before COVID, the, the, um, the single greatest kind of metabolic uh, uh, problem in the red blood cells was sickle cell trait. There's no doubt about it. Then there's... There's there's SC disease and a few others, glucose 6-phosphate uh, 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 dehydrogenase, G6PD deficiencies, a few others. Um, but but that was uh, that was a big one. In the heart, the leading problem was hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a abnormal thickness of the heart. And Tommy, in the olden days, the doctor used to listen with their stethoscope and try to hear the murmur of it. That's what the whole physical exam... If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss was when the doctor was examining it was trying to hear hypertrophic cardiomyopathy sadly uh about 25 percent of cases there's not an audible murmur that was the problem with the doctor's exam then over time the ekg was added and if the ekg showed abnormalities that could pick up a few more cases and now state of the art as chris pointed out is echo or ultrasound and ultrasound just nails it. We can just see it if the heart is abnormally thick or not. And you know, ultrasound has advanced so much, Tommy. You know, in my office, it's on an iPad now. So I use a Philips uh, GE Lumify probe, and I get the patient in a, a, a particular position, and I'm right on the heart with that probe, and I look on an iPad, and I can look at it in two seconds. So the bottom line is there's no athlete going out on the field now with at-risk hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It doesn't happen. Uh, And if there's an equivocal case, they see a lot of specialists. And if they go out on the field, it's in a negotiated settlement. And the case in point there was Jerry Fisher, who played for the Detroit Red Wings. I know the case well, because I was his doctor uh, after he had a rest. But Jerry Fisher had a form of a, what's called an apical hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. His dad had the same thing. And he was a great hockey player from Russia. And Jerry went around to Mayo Clinic. He, he went uh, to Harvard. He went to a lot of places, got a lot of opinions. And, and people said, well, we don't know. This is not the typical at-risk hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but you could be at risk. So they let Jerry play for the Red Wings. In fact, he, he was on some uh, Stanley Cup teams. And sure enough, one day Jerry's time came up and he had a cardiac arrest. Uh, but the doctor on the side with the Red Wings, because he knew Jerry's case really well, he as soon as Jerry started to falter, he knew what was going on, and he was out on the ice in two seconds. Got under the pads, defibrillated Jerry, got him back. He's neurologically perfect, 
And then after that, it just boiled down to what do we do next? Jerry didn't want a defibrillator. He saw me, he went to University of Michigan. And in the end, it was a negotiated deal that he wasn't going to get a defibrillator. We didn't know if he was ever going to have another event, but he became a scout for the Red Wings and he, he went back to Russia and he scouts for the Red Wings. So each case is a little bit different, um, but, but everything was known in advance. What Chris is pointing out now is the wild card is the COVID-19 vaccines because October 22nd, 2020, the FDA had on one of its slides at its public meetings, it said the vaccines, this is before they came out on the market, could cause myocarditis. It's on their slide. It's as if they saw this coming. It said blood clots, myocarditis. They listed every major complication before they ever came out on the market. And sure enough, by June of 2021, the FDA and the CDC held emergency meetings and said Pfizer and Moderna are causing myocarditis or heart inflammation. So heart inflammation before COVID, heart inflammation, we could not let them exercise. It was it was mandatory. If we ever had an athlete that got parvovirus or giant cell or Coxsackie virus, we had to tell them, listen, you're out of sports until this clears up. Because in myocarditis, the surge of adrenaline during sports could trigger ventricular fibrillation or ventricular, uh, you know, cardiac arrest. It just is immediate trigger. The same thing between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., there's a surge of adrenaline and that can trigger the cardiac arrest. So we would typically, I've only seen two cases before COVID, they could not play sports. And then we use some drugs to try to treat the myocarditis, typically prednisone, colchicine, and something called uh, IVIG, uh, intravenous immunoglobulin. If there's reduced heart pumping function, we use drugs called ACE inhibitors and beta blockers. And so we manage them. Then Then COVID comes in. This is before the vaccine, before COVID comes in, and everyone's worried about the virus causing myocarditis because Ralph Barrick in 1992 showed that if you flooded a rabbit heart with a beta coronavirus, you could cause myocarditis, 1992. So everybody's on edge. The Israelis have a huge screening program, the US military, the NCAA Big 10 has a screening program and they look for COVID myocarditis before the vaccines and you know what they found a handful of cases in the big 10 the first author is daniels and colleagues published in Jena. a handful of cases and they did everything blood testing echo mri a handful of cases no hospitalizations no deaths same thing in the military no hospitalizations no deaths no cardiac arrest this is again before the vaccines now that the tricky part to this is that in hospitalized patients with COVID, they routinely measure a cardiac test called troponin, a blood test, troponin. And there, in COVID in the hospital, just like other forms of pneumonia, about a third of people have a positive troponin. It's a cardiac stress, and so the blood test turns positive. But this literature came out saying that, wow, COVID causes a ton of myocarditis. And I would say, wait a minute, you know, these people are in the hospital. That's not adjudicated myocarditis. They're not having MRIs and stuff. That's just a positive troponin. And to this day, the American College of Cardiologists says that COVID causes more myocarditis than the vaccines. Sanjay Gupta was on CNN last night saying that myocarditis, the virus, causes um, more, uh, or coronavirus, COVID-19, causes more myocarditis 
than the vaccines, and nothing can be further from the truth. Um, the Israelis in a paper by Tuvali and colleagues showed that COVID itself did not cause myocarditis above the baseline, what we see with the parvovirus or other causes. So uh, uh, the literature uh, has contaminated things from the in-hospital COVID data. Now we bring in the vaccines and these healthy athletes are taking the vaccines. All the colleges, they stopped screening for myocarditis. The Big Ten, they stopped. They should have been screening for it when they actually made the kids take the vaccines. You know, Dr. McKellar, we had, um, I said hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The young man that we had had actually dilated cardiomyopathy, mm -hmm. which was, which was, they felt like was as a result of a virus when he was a kid. He, yep. he just, they didn't know for sure. So we had the whole family screened. That was one of the things that we chose yep. to do as a, as a university. I said, I want everybody screened, the brothers, the sisters, the dad, the mom, you know, and none of them had anything. Um, and you, we were using what we had at the time. In all my years, I never had a single athlete have myocarditis, none. And I think, what was it, four in a million was what it once was, and it was like, it's like 4,000% more. It's probably greater than that now. I don't, but I saw something you said it was right. 40 times more likely or something like that. Right. right. Now, so before COVID, the rate in a paper from Finland by uh, uh, Arolio and colleagues, it was four cases per million per year in the kids. Yeah. There's always 90% uh, boys, 10% girls, uh, no matter what. It probably has to do with androgen receptors. Now, since the vaccines, the number is 25,000 per million. 25,000. So I, I see myocarditis in my clinic all the time now. And I'll tell you what I do for it. I saw a doctor with myocarditis the other day. He took the vaccine. He's got myocarditis. The guy said, that I'm miserable. I have chest pain. I, I can't exercise. I'm scared to exercise. I'm afraid I'm going to have a cardiac arrest. You know, what do I do? Well, yeah, I, you know, I do a careful vaccine history. I record all the doses, uh, what the lots are, because we know there's certain lots that are a lot more dangerous than other lots. So get, gather the vaccine history. Very first thing I do, uh, I, I do a physical exam. I get an EKG. I get blood tests. So I get the cardiac troponin, uh, uh, some additional tests. One is BNP, boy Nancy Peter, B-type natriuretic peptide, galactin-3, galactin-3, and uh, I measure an ANA, an anti-nuclear antibody, high sensitivity CRP, uh, and I get some other baseline labs. I do an echocardiogram because I'm looking for fluid around the heart. So it's called myopericarditis. And then I do the MRI. Now, the MRI is not perfect because it's slicing the heart. So it may miss certain segments. But I put all that together. And additionally, I do a swab in the mouth of a genetic test for abnormalities in conduction of sodium, potassium, and other electrolytes in the heart called channelopathies, cardiomyopathies. I would have picked up the cardiomyopathy that Chris talked about, for instance. And so with all that information, I need to tell this doctor, is he okay or is he not okay? Can, can he actually play sports or not? We would need that level of intensity for all these players. So uh, look at Bronny James. He's going to a high school in California where they mandate the vaccines and no exemptions are allowed. That's high school for him. 
Then he goes to USC. They have a vaccine mandate at USC. LeBron comes out in September and says he's done his research and he's toiled on this and has decided the vaccine is best for him and his family. Okay. Uh, now he's going into some arenas like Staples Center where they demand it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody has a vaccine, including the players. LeBron is not checked to that level of detail, I bet. I bet his son was not checked to that level of detail. So both LeBron and his son are a setup where if they were unlucky enough to get a hot lot of vaccines, and we know now from paper by Schmeling and Colleen, there's about 4.2% of the vials that are super loaded. If they would have gotten one of them, most of the athletes didn't get a loaded, you know, vial, but if they got one of the loaded ones and it installed the genetic code in the heart, then they're at risk. It, it, now you enter in these different cases. So uh, Damar Hamlin, almost certainly he had for sure vaccine cardiac arrest. It was a full-blown cardiac arrest. They went out on the court, had to shock him. Uh, Bronny's teammate, Vince Uwachuku, last year in 2022, Tommy, has a cardiac arrest, USC freshman, okay? Uh, has to be shocked on the court, goes in, uh, gets an evaluation, ultimately gets an ICD, probably a subcutaneous ICD. So, so believe it or not, the players can play with these because there's no hardware inside the heart. It's just on the chest wall. And so he, he's, uh, he comes, returns back. So believe it or not, now they can return back with an ICD. So he's back. Uh, but he had the full arrest. So I, I think Vince uh, had, again, it, it fits a COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis arrest. Now you have Bronny. It's a little bit different. He's said to have a cardiac arrest, but we don't hear anything about shocks, nothing mm -hmm. about CPR. He's taken to the hospital, and within a few hours, he's out of the ICU. Ooh, that doesn't make sense to me. When someone's had a cardiac arrest and it's a serious one, it's, it's like DeMar Hamlin. We, we put them, we intubate them to control the airway so they're on the mechanical ventilator. They're carefully monitored. They're, they're in ICU for a few days. And that we're, we're concerned about a repeat arrest. And in a paper that I published with Rick Thompson years ago in the American Journal of Cardiology, we showed out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Once they come in the hospital, there's a 50% chance they're going to have another arrest in the hospital. So I think Bronny James will have to learn more is I'm questioning whether or not he had a cardiac arrest at all. He may have just had what's called POTS or posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. This is just a labile blood pressure that can swing low and people can pass out. Um, have you guys, either one of you seen these highlight reels of all the announcers passing out, like tons of media announcers passing out? Have you seen that, Chris? Yes. Yeah, you've seen that, Tommy, right? Yes. Not all those guys are having cardiac arrests. A lot of times they're just sitting at their desk and they just crumple over. That's POTS. That's posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's just a low blood pressure. That's It's due to the vaccine, 
but they just pass out. Did you see this uh, big African-American uh, goalkeeper who just passed out, uh, Tommy? He was on the field. Did you see that, Chris? His name is Hyslop, I believe. Uh, yeah, so he had pods. And you know he had pods because, you know, what? he came on the next day and he goes, I'm sorry, I passed out. <laughs> he wasn't in the ICU. No one did CPR. Um, and, and there's been, uh, you know, media announcer after media announcer. I see this all day long in clinic. So uh, uh, Bronny may have just had POTS. He came in, you know, there was no shock, no cardiac arrest, and they were able to get him out of the ICU quick. I, I, I'm hypothesizing because we're not getting any details. The on one it. thing I I'm just saying a full-blown cardiac arrest, we're talking defibrillator pads, ICU observation, a minimum of 24 hours because of the repeat. You know, it just, his case is not adding up, thankfully for him. I did hear that um, I've read uh, two or three things and did talk to someone. Um, evidently, he did have CPR. But oh, okay. We, but, but they did not mention uh, defibrillator, and I looked everywhere for that. Um, I was concerned. You know, I was looking and saying, well, if he had cardiac arrest, they would have more than likely had the AED right there and shocked him back into rhythm. So... That's what happened with Hamlin. Um, Tommy, Dr. McCullough and I were actually texting in real time the yeah. night DeMar Hamlin went down, and everybody was saying it was Camosho Cordis, and I was like, I said, no, it's not. It's, he would have been down. He would have never got back up. And he stood up. He had about a seven to ten seconds of oxygen in his bloodstream. He stood back up, and then he, he went back down. Um, and so that was a classic case of what Dr. McCullough said. We felt like that night, we felt like he probably had myocarditis, adrenaline response, followed by tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation, cardiac arrest. They shocked him on the field. Um, you know, they've given all those guys, and, and I give them their, their due. Um, they've given all those guys, those athletic trainers for the Buffalo Bills, all kinds of awards and things. And, and my wife looked at me and she said, but they were doing their job. And I said, they were, but they were in everybody's eyes, and normally you're not. Yeah. And well, um, Listen, and a lot so of things can go bad in cardiac arrest. I've managed them my whole career, believe me. And I, I agree with Chris. These guys did a masterful job. They, You know, it's hard um, to get on. The, the, the jerseys are very tight, Tommy. It's very hard to get in there, get up underneath there, the person's unconscious. I think he actually puked a little bit because I saw a lot of fluid in his mouth. They turned, so he aspirated a little bit. That's the reason why he was on the ventilator. They're trying to do that, maintain the airway, get up on the pads, get the deferred one. You got to turn on the machine and it has to analyze. And it's agonizing as you're waiting for the machine to analyze. Uh, and they're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it says shock advised. Then you have to get out of the way. And then the defibrillator has to shock him. And all that happened uh, masterfully, and he was brought back. And Chris and I were texting. I was on vacation at the time, and and Chris had probably seen more athletes go down than anybody in history. And, and we were, you know, going back and forth, uh, you know, trying to ascertain what was going on. And uh, one of the clues uh, that he, you know, had a successful resuscitation is the paramedics stayed in the tunnel once he was on in the paramedic unit. Uh, for Damar Hamlin, they stayed in the tunnel forever, like 15 or 20 minutes. And, and it, it, if he had no blood pressure or an unstable rhythm, they would have been hauling to the hospital. 
I guarantee during that time he, he was intubated, but he had a great blood pressure and he was a normal sinus rhythm. And you know what they were doing? They were waiting to get his mom out of the stands. And so that told me that he had a great resuscitation. He was going to be back and they were waiting for mom. And they took him to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. So, you know, and within 24 hours, I went on Tucker Carlson. And every doctor had been out there. Oh, he's brain dead. He's raised money for, you know, and, and all the, this guy, Mark Siegel, was on ahead of me was saying complete, um, uh, you know, completely incorrect, uh, uh, irrelevant information, wrong prognosis. I got on, I told Tucker, he's gonna be fine. He's gonna walk out of the hospital. He's gonna survive, he got great care. But the issue is, did he take the vaccine? And is this vaccine myocarditis? And boy, did I make the right call. Uh, you know, he, he, everyone says, oh, against all the odds, he walked out of the hospital. I was like, no, I called it. I'm a cardiologist, I deal with this stuff. Every day I've published on cardiac arrest out of hospital. So here we are. We just have these cases one after another. You probably saw this singer go down, Tommy, yeah. with a pulmonary embolism. Did you see that? What's yeah. her name? Tor Tori? I couldn't, can't recall. I, I can't recall the name. Yeah, it's on my... Uh, it's on my Twitter feed. Let, let's just get it right for the uh, group here. Here it is. Tori Kelly. Tori Kelly hospitalized for blood clots after collapsing at event. So that's a, a good one to talk about because blood clots, if they're big enough, they shoot from the legs and the pelvis up to the right side of the heart and they can block blood flow through the pulmonary uh, vasculature and somebody can pass out. And I've definitely had that in my practice. It's definitely caused by the vaccines. In fact, the spike protein from the vaccine is found in the blood clots. The, the, the spike protein folds, it gets rubbery. Uh, it, it forms what's called amyloidogenic uh, sheets. And so the blood clots are large. They, are, they, they, they stick together very well, they're cohesive and they're rubbery and they shoot to the vasculature. And I've had that, I've seen it at my practice, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and what I do there, I just tweeted this out. Again, I, I told you what I do for myocarditis. It's a, a very complete evaluation. I mean, I'm very exact. In this thing, again, it's vaccine, dose, lot number, get the vaccine card. And then we look for risk factors. Was she on uh, birth control pills, supplemental estrogens, as an example? Does she have familial blood clotting tendency? So we'll do a panel, it's called the familial thrombophilia panel. Did she have any recent immobility, like a long plane ride, an ankle sprain, having a cast on the lower extremity? Those are all risk factors. Uh, and then we go ahead and we start treatment. There we use full dose anticoagulation, but the big advance now, Tommy, is what we call base spike detox. And I have a major paper coming out on this supported by all the best evidence and data. Now our clinical practice, I feel very strongly about this. The spike protein is produced uncontrollably after these shots. It looks like it doesn't shut off. We're seeing these arrests and blood clots now two years later. And our paper by Lee and colleagues, very disturbing. Two years after two shots in 2021, there's micro blood clots uh, going through the arteries and veins of the retina seen in a big study, 750,000 people who took two shots in 2021 versus 1.5 million controls, two years later. Now the absolute numbers weren't high, but it was way more than a fourfold risk. 
And what the authors conclude is to listen, the blood clots are not forming in the eye, they're circulating in the body. Micro blood clots are circulating in the vaccinated. This is an awful thought. So it looks like the spike protein is produced at least for two years, at least, maybe it's longer. So what we do there, base spike detox is we actually use enzymes to degrade the spike protein. The human body is not clearing this stuff. And the enzymes are natokinase, natokinase, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E, derived from the fermentation of soy, very safe supplement. Japanese use it for heart disease anyway. It's a blood thinner. Uh, as well as bromelain, B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N, derived from the stem of pineapples. Again, it's a form of a blood thinner, a proteolytic. It's, bromelain, by the way, is a drug. It's actually used in, in, in wound healing. Uh, as a topical 35% solution, you can take it as an oral supplement. And then the last one is not a blood thinner, uh, but it does buffet the effects of spike protein fragments. It's called curcumin. It's derived from turmeric. We have to use the higher potency uh, liposomal or nano variety of it, but curcumin, 500 milligrams twice a day. Those three together is called base spike detox. We can add other things to it. But we're putting virtually everybody who's taken multiple shots, multiple rounds of COVID, having problems on it. And then, you know, we'll have this. In her case, she'll get heavy-duty blood thinners, probably initially heparin or anoxaparin. And then she'll go on oral blood thinner like Eliquis or um, uh, Xeralto or Pradaxa uh, or Coumadin or Warfarin. Uh, She'll need a heavy-duty blood thinner. But what we're finding is that if we just use the blood thinners alone, the blood clots are not dissolving, that we have to do what's called base spike detox. You know, uh, one of the people that called me today is a highly uh, respected. He just didn't want his name out. And he just said, you know, this is happening more than I like to see. And it's not happened to us yet, but um, I'm concerned. And I said, he asked me what I would do. And I said, well, you want the loaded answer or do you want just something to get you by? And I said, because it's what you just said. I said, the top guy in the world is Dr. Peter McCullough. And he's going to tell you, you're going to need EKG echo. You already do that. You're going to need probably a cardiac MRI. And you're going to need troponin levels at the least. And he said, you're kidding. He, you got any idea what that cost? I said, well, less than a lawsuit. And then he said, what else? And I said, well, there's this new cocktail Dr. McCullough and them are talking about um, from the, a company he's working, you know, he's been an advisor to, I think it's a wellness group or right. whatever this guy got that. And I said, I personally would, you know, I know he has added NAC to it as well sometimes. Um, and uh, I said, I'd have every athlete that has ever had a vaccine taken that particular cocktail. And it's not going to, it's not a drug. It's not, it's, it's not going to be a supplement that's, uh, you might need to check with NCAA just to make sure. But I said, I can't think of anything in those that would absolutely 100% say you can't take this. Um, I don't know any reason that they could. Now, there there are some things on there I wonder why they can't take anyway, but I don't think any of these would be on there. 
The other thing that I asked him, I said, do you have an emergency action um, plan posted and it's on site in every venue and every single coach, every single person that has any um, oversight of your athletes at any time, whether it be in a meeting or whether it be in a, in a, um, a classroom or whether it be on a field or court of play, are they all certified in CPR and are there enough AED units already up? Now, people have been saying, oh, they're putting up all these AED units. We've been doing that for years. We've been, we, we've been trying to get them in all facilities for years. So, but I'm surprised at that even though it's mandated that everybody has an emergency action plan, nobody knows where it is. You can't find it. So where's the key to the gate? Which one, which, you know, who's going to open the gate? Where is the ambulance coming in that gate or are we going to bring them in? Where are they leaving? All these things that should be posted on a wall that could be grabbed off and take a look at, even if you didn't know what you were doing. And, and put it in such a way that it was so easy that anyone could could read it and, and abide by it because you've got everything you need right there. The key is, you, and I always had our coaches, they had to be CPR certified. And they, they would complain about it. Well, the key to that is just provide enough pizza and they'll come. And um, so we got them all CPR certified, wound up having a good time. I said, if you can't do it for yourself and your athletes, do it for your family. Do it for somebody that, that you love other than here. And uh, you'd be surprised how many places actually don't have that. And that's why you hear about uh, delays in getting to the hospital or delays in treatment or why did it take 12 minutes to get something done? I understand the situation with DeMar Hamlin. I actually thought the same thing. Something's going on that's not too bad or if they're waiting. It's either really good or really bad <laughs> if they're waiting, you know. So um, I think that's, as I told him, I said, I know that the conferences require that you provide them with EAPs, emergency action plans. I know they do. But I've also been in a situation that I walked into unknowingly and I couldn't find an emergency action plan for any venue. Mm. I won't say where, but Dr. McCullough knows what, what you know, and by in, let's just put it in this way. In two days, I had emergency action plans at every venue. And they knew where to go, what to do, and and we made sure ADs. Has anybody checked the batteries? You know, it's it's things like that that people just don't think about. You know, hey, we did what we were supposed to do. We got an emergency action plan. Okay, is, is everybody been trained in it? Everybody been brought up to speed? Um, the ADs on the wall. All right, is it does it work? And do they know what to do when they grab it off the wall? Hmm. So in addition to being prepared, hopefully like those folks, uh, you know, like the folks with Buffalo were prepared or USC, these bigger schools, that's great. What about the junior high school or the high school or the junior college in who to thunk it, Mississippi? Hmm. You know, you what, know Tommy, what you, uh, uh, 
Chris brings up a, a great point that, you know, now's the time to to have these action plans signed off. There should be practice. People out of, we've seen enough cardiac arrest now. You know, John Stockton, former UT, uh, Utah, Utah Jazz, Jazz. great. You, you probably had him on. You know, he, he thinks we have over a thousand athletes now, uh, high school, uh, college, and pro that have gone down. Now, Polycretus and myself have published in the European literature uh, using the best way we could, you know, from, from public reporting of cardiac arrest. But we demanded four separate press reports per arrest to make sure it was legit. And we took uh, a period of time before COVID. Pro and semi-pro, soccer, rugby, Australian rules football, age under 35. Okay, just that category. And the annual number of cardiac arrests per year in all those leagues. And that's a lot of leagues, pro and semi-pro in Europe. Uh, the number was 29 per year. Since the vaccines, that same number, apples to apples comparison, is 283. So it's a per year. And so it's a tenfold increase. And as Chris points out, it, it may be dropping off right now because they've really let down on the vaccines over there. Now, in the polycretus data, once somebody has a real cardiac arrest, not just a fainting spell, but a real cardiac arrest, two thirds were fatal and a third were recoverable. They could be resuscitated. But that two thirds fatality rate, what Chris is getting is maybe that could be a lot lower if with really expert CPR, getting the pads on, you know, you know, is the battery charged? Uh, you know, where's the paramedic unit? Uh, all of that. Now that that's Europe. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if John Stockton is keeping the data on, you know, the success rate of this. Uh, you know, every day there's a new uh, report. I don't know if you saw. Um, I think it's Marquise Brown from the um, uh, a pro football player, uh, blood clots. Did you see that one? Oh, uh, yeah. He just uh, blood clots. So the cardiac arrest that you have with a blood clot is different than the primary electrical cardiac arrest that you have with myocarditis, which is different than the type of hemodynamic collapse that you have with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is different than the collapse that you would have, let's say with sickle trait or hemoglobin uh, C disease, et cetera. So everything's a little bit different. And I think now's the time where the athletic trainers, the medical staff uh, can make a big difference. Uh, we have, when, in pro football, for instance, we haven't had a primary cardiac arrest since the 70s. We almost had perfect track record in the 80s, 90s, uh, you know, you know, in the 20 years, in the, in the 2020s so far, because of the fact that, it, remember you'd hear about a player getting traded from one team to another and said he didn't pass his physical? Well, they put these guys on cardiopulmonary stress tests, they do EKGs, echoes, and if they didn't see what they liked, they'd say, listen, he didn't pass his um, his exam. But the point is, they were very, very well screened. And we just don't have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, deaths anymore. You, you remember there was a Boston Celtic that went down Len with uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Remember, well, he got a lot of... It, and then there was Hank Gathers years yeah. ago. So. The, the right. one thing that, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, sickle cell trait, you know, one of the things we found out about it was obviously it's, um, it's a lack of oxygen and then your kidneys shut down and then uh, you go into cardiac arrest. And so 
but the the blood vessel or uh, red blood cells start to sickle or um, uh, because of hypoxia or, or lack of oxygen. And that's what I first saw that looked like what the spike protein was doing to the red blood cell. Um, that was the reason I got involved. Um, but those, what we found out was, you know, most of the sudden deaths or most of the deaths that we had seen, everybody were, they were blaming them on heat illness or heat stroke or what, you know, through all those years, it would have been 20 or 25, they blamed on heat illness. Um, and after we started looking back, all those kids more than likely had sickle cell trait. It wasn't heat stroke mm. because it was 80 degrees and the humidity was low or whatever it might be there. It just didn't add up. So that's the concern I have now. You know, they blamed it on heat instead of sickle cell. And it took us years and years to, to make people understand that it wasn't. Now, now they're blaming, they're saying, oh, it's this mild myocarditis. Well, there's no such thing, you know, or it's, it's not, it can't be the vaccine. It's not. Well, how do you know that? Uh, do they have sickle cell trait? Do they have, do they have a heat problem? Did they have underlying kidney condition or were they on some sort of medications that interacted with something going on else going on their body? I mean, we just now, now we don't have preseason football camp like you used to, for instance, those kids stay there 365 days a year. They work out all summer in in the heat. So when you go into football camp, so to speak, get ready for the season, they're in shape. But we're seeing people drop in football. We're seeing people drop not from heat because they're climatized by the time they get to it now because they're not on their own at home working in air conditioning. We're seeing it from exercise-induced people dropping or sorry, uh, whether it well, be. You, you picked up on a key thing in the myocarditis. You're right. We're not seeing kids go into heart failure. So it's not huge areas of inflammation. Uh, you know, what I've seen is tiny areas of inflammation, but it's just enough to be a focus for ventricular tachycardia and then ventricular fibrillation. And what really sets it off is the surge of adrenaline. So you look at uh, Damar Hamlin, you know, it's the, it's the first half, He's back there. He makes a big tackle on a, an attempted run back. And it's that big surge of adrenaline. He gets up. He, you know, just about just as, and then he goes down. Uh, these uh, cases, if you look at some of the soccer plays, it's after a big long run. And then he just, you know, stops and is going to regather. Down they go. You've seen these cases over and over again. It's not when they're in full stride. It's almost never when they're in full stride. It's after a big run, after a tackle, you're stopped, and, and then the adrenaline kind of catches up with you, and boom, takes it down. Same thing with the basketball players we've seen on those videos. It's after they've run down the court, they've made the yeah. basket, they turn around their own defense. Their That's own defense. it. Or, or the, the referee that runs down the floor, he stops. He's turned around now after he's run down the floor, and then he collapses. Well, he wasn't running when it happened. It's the same type of thing. And you're right. And the young man that we had, you know, he had, he had walked 150 yards off the practice field and was cooled down already. 
but he probably had a surge of adrenaline of some sort at, at that time. Um, yeah. Have you ever sprinted like a hundred yards as hard as you possibly can? When you're sprinting, you don't really notice it, but you're breathing really hard. Your heart's pumping hard. But when you stop, yeah. you can feel your heart pounding. Right, Tommy? Have you felt that? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Fin you finish and, and it. So that's, because remember, your adrenal glands secrete adrenaline, but there's a little bit of a, 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 a phase lag. So you call on everything you have, and then you call on your adrenal glands, and over the next few seconds or a minute or so, then there's the big surge of adrenaline, and we think that's the trigger. And there's a paper in the literature by Brazilian physician um, Flavio Canagiani that laid this out early on. He says, I, I think in this COVID-19 myocarditis, like other myocarditis, it's going to be the surge of adrenaline that's going to do it. And boy, did he call it right. Tommy, it's kind of like walking up the top of three flights of stairs when you're in shape and you're still out of breath. When you get to the top, you go, what's that all about? I don't know if it's got anything to do with the phosgen system or whatever they call it, you know, mm -hmm. but if those correlate, um, because it's technically anaerobic, you know, and uh, you, you still, you know, those, that surge of adrenaline. I've seen kids with their hands on their knees going, I can't breathe. Uh, and I go, you could if you'd stand up. And let's walk around a few minutes. But I wanted to, always would want to check their pulse and see what it was. Um, and they said, well, I didn't feel it that hard, like Dr. McCullough was just talking about. And you always wondered why. Well, that's why. You know, they, they go, why is my heart not beating like that while I'm running? Well, it is. Yeah. You, you just can't feel it. Yeah. Well, Tommy, listen, we just have a few minutes left. Any final questions for us? <clears throat> Lots of questions and more of a statement where it's it's I think you you myself and Dr. Wolf talked about this about two weeks ago is unfortunately these things take celebrity in this case injuries and in past cases deaths before they start to move into the public window of acceptance. It just seems to be what happens is no one cares if if Bob is shooting hoops and falls over and if you say it's from the vaccine, you know, you're spreading misinformation you need a DeMar Hamlin, you'd need a Bronny James. And it's kind of the unfortunate nature of humans. But until there's a big person, it, it's still going to be swept under the rug. And it can only happen to so many more big people before it's going to start becoming a, a more widely accepted phenomena. We actually said that the last time we were on here, we said it's going to take somebody important yep. going down before anybody's going to do anything about it. I think we and, even and, said it's going to take a Tom Brady or LeBron James. Yeah, something like that. That's unfortunate. That's I, kind of I, the human nature. They're not nature. only going to have to go down, but they're, they themselves are going to have to come to out come and out say, and you know say, what? Yeah. yeah, these aren't dangerous, and the buck stops here. Something's got to be done about it. We haven't seen that from Jamie Foxx. We haven't seen it from any of the athletes so far. There's been a couple of bodybuilders and others um, we didn't see it from DeMar Hamlin. He came out and ultimately he settled on Commodio Cordis, and, um, it, which I don't think is the correct diagnosis. And, uh, you know, the great concern is playing again. Uh, so far, there hasn't been repeat arrests. And so I don't know if they're giving prednisone or colchicine and suddenly down. You know, I treat all my patients and I have not had a cardiac arrest of somebody who's been treated for myocarditis. And I, so I think the drugs probably settle down 
the electrical instability uh, greatly. Uh, so far, the cardiac arrest we've seen, every single one of them has been previously undetected myocarditis. The one thing that's spooking me is the player from um, from Dominican Republic, Oscar Cabrera Adamas, 28-year-old Chris. You probably saw that. Yeah. He gets myocarditis from the vaccine 2021. He's honest. He said, I had myocarditis. I'm screwed. I can't play basketball. He doesn't play. Takes like a year, almost a year and a half out. And then he's in a health center under supervision, has a stress test, and he dies on the stress Oh, test. yeah, I do remember that. You know, I got to tell you, what... I, I've, I'm in my fourth decade of practice. I've never had a patient die in front of me on a stress test. Never. Now, we've had cardiac arrests, but we can always shock the heart back to normal rhythm. I have so, a question about that. You know, somebody asked me this other day. They said, if I got myocarditis from the vaccine, is my heart da damaged for good? And I said, well, certain cells are. And it, chances are certain cells are. And they said, can you can recover from myocarditis and go back to a high level of athletic activity? I think you can. And uh, there's a paper before COVID that was very important from Germany by Bruckman and colleagues showing that these MRI abnormalities in young people can heal. The, the human, human heart does have some regenerative capabilities and it can heal. So I've always held, as long as it wasn't an ischemic heart attack, like a, like a heart attack where there's a cholesterol blockage, and it was a young, healthy kid, that there could be healing. The concern is that if there's a scar, a permanent scar there, then you're stuck. Even though there's no heart failure, there's always that chance for that abnormal electrical pattern. The heart has to be pristine. It can have no interruptions in it. So the electricity always depolarizes and repolarizes. If there's a scar, then the electricity can go down and around it. That's called reentry. And once that happens, it takes over the heart and causes a cardiac arrest. And so you know, we're hopeful that we check these people, we treat them, we do follow-up MRIs, they look normal, everything's normal, and we say, okay, you're good to go and you can play. We're hoping that's the right uh, approach with COVID-19 myocarditis, but we don't really know. That's the problem. The other wild card is, when do the genetic shots shut off? Are they just gonna produce more spike protein and re-damage the heart after we've gone through all this treatment and careful observation? Maybe that happened with Adamus. You know, and Tommy, the one word of advice I would give to someone who may be watching this and wondering, what do you do? You know, um, you know, the heart is when people are working on it, like Dr. McCullough, you got to have plumbers and electricians because there's plumbing and electrical. And when we say ventricular fibrillation, that's electrical. And when somebody's heart, maybe uh, you just do regular CPR, that's for you're the that's plumbing. You're just pumping the blood. But unless that heart, it just sits there. It doesn't know what to do when it's in fibrillation. It doesn't know whether it's like a bowl of jello just shaking. It, it, it's out of rhythm. It's totally, um, you, you know, it's gonna it's gonna stop. It's gonna go into cardiac arrest. Unless you shock it back into that rhythm, and that's where the electricity comes in. And so you can you can be trained in CPR, you can be, have all those skills, but unless you have the ability to get your hands on an AED pretty quick, 
the survival rate of just CPR is very, very low. Yeah. And so, Tommy, the, for your audience, the name of the specialist who really ought to be making the decision, do these guys go back to the field? Do they not? Do they need a defibrillator? That's called an electrophysiologist. Electrophysiology. It's a subspecialist of cardiology. So that would be the type of person now. So Brawny, I'm sure, is seeing an electrophysiologist. They're sorting through what happened. Uh, his uh, playing partner, Vince Uichuknu, saw an electrophysiologist, allegedly received an ICD, has come back. Apparently, DeMar Hamlin has seen an electrophysiologist, and they're trying to make these judgments now about what are the next steps. But we're in unknown territory because these genetic shots, we don't know if they turn off or not. Yeah. And, and, and that's the great concern. People aren't even telling us that they took the shots and how many shots. So, you know, things are so obscure right now. now. Until we get all the cards on the table, there's a lot of unknowns. I'm going to have to leave it here, you guys. I'm going to have to get on to another uh, commitment. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, sir. Dr. McCullough, thank you for being here. Mr. Gillespie, thank you, sir. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Take care. Recording stopped. Much love. Peace.